This episode of the Locked on Giants podcast is brought to you in part by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. You are Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. Patricia Trana here with you, and it is Monday, June 14th, and we are now kicking off our summer schedule here on the Locked On Giants podcast, meaning we will be coming to you three days a week from now until maybe about a week or two before the start of Giants training camp on July 27th. So you can look for new shows from us on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And if we have breaking news where we have to do an extra show, we certainly will do that. But right now, that is the plan for the next several weeks as we get some downtime in before the start of what's sure to be a very interesting and hopefully a longer season for the New York Giants. And on today's podcast, folks, I've been promising you a mailbag, and that is exactly what we are going to do. I have mail questions that came in via email. I have some Twitter questions that came in from all of you. And I'm really glad to have this opportunity to to answer some of those questions here on the podcast. It's been a while since we have done a mail bag for the listeners. And uh, just a quick note before I jump into the first round of questions. Coming up on Wednesday, I have a sort of a, a crossover show with Mike DeBate of Locked On Patriots. Um, for those who missed the news, the Giants and the Patriots are planning to do uh, joint practices this summer at training camp. And Mike and I got together last week and we taped a show and we were talking about things that we can expect and you know, just the, our thoughts on where the Giants are, where the Patriots are. And Mike's a really good guy. I, I absolutely relish the opportunity to do shows with him. And uh, we put this show together. It was his idea. So we put this show together and that will be our Wednesday show. And um, I hope you will enjoy that. So, all right, let's get into our Twitter mailbag which uh, I'm happy to kick off. And we're going to start with a Twitter question from drmore1976. And he asks, why such little focus on the O-line in the draft? And do we expect Nate Solder to be with the team come August under the same salary? All right, let me answer the second part of that question first. Yes, Nate Solder is going to be with this team in August. Um, they redid his contract, so I don't think they're going to be able to do it again and make it any lower. So Nate Solder will serve as the swing tackle. You know, the only way that doesn't happen is obviously if he gets injured and can't perform. But um, the plan right now is for Nate Solder to be the swing tackle, the backup at left tackle and at right tackle. And during the OTAs and the mandatory minicamp that wrapped up last week, Nate Solder was actually working at uh, right tackle with the second string offensive line. So, yeah, I think he's definitely in the in the picture, barring something unexpected happening. All right. Now for the first part of your question, um, why such little focus on the O-line in the draft? First off, I will say this. Dave Gettleman did at one point say that they were looking at offensive linemen. 
But when their time came to go on the clock, whoever they were looking at had been selected already. So they weren't going to force a pick after their guys that they might have been contemplating were no longer there. Now, that said, why wasn't it a higher priority? Well, because they believe in what they've got. It's that simple. They feel that what they have is a good young core of of players. You know, um, Andrew Thomas is going into his second season. Matt Parrott is going into his second year. Shane Lemieux. Uh, Will Hernandez, they're hoping, is going to bounce back from, from whatever was going on last year. Nick Gates is going into his second season as the starting center. So they feel that, you know, with everything being equal, the fact that the players are going are staying in the same offensive system, the fact that they had an opportunity to work together last year, even though they, you know, they rotated some guys in and out, they feel good about it. And then let's not forget about the coaching staff, you know, the coaching change that they made. They hired Rob Sale, who everything I've heard about Rob Sale has just been very positive and very, just they're very enthusiastic about what he brings to the table as a teacher and as a potential run game coordinator. They they brought back Pat Flaherty as a consultant. And of course, Pat Flaherty was Tom Coughlin's offensive line coach. So, you know, you have that, you have Freddie Kitchens now was promoted from tight ends coach to offensive assistant, and you have the return of Ben Wilkerson. So all those factors rolled together have given the Giants optimism about what they have with this young group. And, you know, Dave Gettleman said it a while ago, he said, you have to let the young kids play that even the, the the greatest players in the game today, they don't start off great like that. They have they start off as rookies and young players, and they have to get the experience. And that's why you know I think the Giants didn't really pour a whole lot into the offensive line. And I've I've written this for Giants country. I'll say it again here: what the Giants are doing with the offensive line is interesting in that their starters are pure um, y- youth. And I think the average age is something like about 24 years old, whereas their backup line, their second string line, those are the older guys with the experience, and their average age is around 30. So if these young guys don't pan out, now they have something to fall back on. Whereas if you had, say, an older guy in the starting lineup, and now he didn't pan out, now you go to the young guys, you, you go reverse. So I kind of like the strategy that they're deploying with the offensive line. I think it's going to make them better down the line. Now, of course, we will see once we get to training camp, that's when the pads will go on. That's when we can really tell for sure where the offensive line is in their development. But I'm optimistic right now. I saw, you know, just watching the OTAs, watching um, the mandatory mini camp. Even though there was no pads, there were there were no there was no hitting. There were little things that I saw from the offensive line when they were working close enough to the media to the patio where the media was standing that had me shaking my head, saying, "Okay, yeah, I like what I'm seeing." So, but we'll see, we'll see. You know, it, it doesn't count for anything until they start hitting and getting into games and whatnot. So we will see how that all plays out. Thank you for that question. All right, this next Twitter question comes from my good friend and my colleague over on Fan Nation for SI.com. This is Alan Pupar. He is the publisher of the Dolphins Maven. Really good guy. And I'm, I guess he's, he's checking in with me because a, a, a few weeks ago he ran a mailbag and I jumped in with a question for him that he actually answered. I was shocked that he answered it. So, hey, Alan. 
turnaround is fair prey, right? And actually, Alan has a great question here. So uh, you can find him, by the way, at Pupar NFL. I'm sorry, at Pupar NFL. That's P-O-U-P-A-R-T-N-F-L. And he runs the Dolphins Maven site, does a really good job. He's my hero. So, all right. Alan asks, uh, how would you evaluate the job Patrick Graham did as defensive coordinator last year? And how do you project his outlook as a potential future head coach? All right. Let me take the second part of that question first. I do think that Patrick Graham has a future as a head coach. Does he want that right now? Well, you know, it's interesting that topic came up and he said right now he is living the dream. He's got his dream job. He's he's able to work with Joe Judge, who he considers one of his dear friends. Um, so it's just interesting that Patrick Graham took himself out of consideration for a head coaching job last year and, um, you know, down the line, maybe that'll change. But right now he's, you know, he, he wants to finish what he started with the Giants defense. And what they started, and this is kind of going into your your first question here, is they've started something really good. You know, this is a, a defense, which last year, I'm going to be honest with you, I did not have much hope for this defense last year. I thought, okay, Patrick Graham, he's only been a DC for one year. Um, the Dolphins defense started off shaky and they got, they got better with, with Graham in charge, but I wasn't really impressed and jumping up and down with the hire. That said, seeing how creative Patrick Graham is, seeing how he put players into the right spots to make plays. And I think of Lorenzo Carter, who was struggling the first couple of years of his NFL career because he wasn't being played in the right spot in a position to suit his strength. And in comes Patrick Graham and he says, okay, you know, I'm going to move uh, you, Lorenzo Carter, from playing defensive tackle to defensive end. And now, lo and behold, Lorenzo Carter starts to show signs of breaking out um, before, unfortunately, an Achilles tendon injury. So, I just like the creativity that Patrick Graham comes up with. And I, I'll tell you what, I like how he works with the players. And by that, I mean, you have some coaches who are dictators. They basically say, okay, this is what we're going to run, guys, and it's my way or the highway. And Patrick Graham isn't like that. You know, he'll put together the plan, obviously, but he'll get with his, you know, defensive players and he'll say, okay, guys, you know, this is what I'm seeing, but you guys are out there, you know, what are you seeing? And that open communication, that two-way communication just absolutely endears him to these players. And I think the thing that you really need to take away from with regards to how good Patrick Graham has been, this is a guy who last year drew up a play, I guess on a cocktail napkin the night before a game. And taught it the next morning uh, before a game, drew it up on the, the whiteboard and he taught it. And it, this was against the Washington football team, by the way, the first one where they stopped the two-point conversion. There was some kind of play, I think, uh, in that sequence before the Washington attempted that two-point conversion that they, that they didn't um, make at the end of the game. So it was, it was revealed that, you know, he put together this play that day or the night before, I should say, and they taught it and they installed it and they ran it to perfection. And I think that says a lot because, you know, a lot of times with football, you'll put together a play if you're a coordinator, it's going to take a couple of run throughs before you get it. But the Giants 
got it right away. And and that's not a reflection necessarily on anybody's intelligence or lack thereof. That just goes to show you that, okay, the communication, the teaching, you know, putting guys into the right position to make plays, play, putting them to their strength, all things that Patrick Graham has shown that he he knows how to do. And he's getting the most out of those players. And that's why, you know, Logan Ryan re-signed with the Giants before even giving him ch- giving himself a chance to hit free agency. Um, he signed his, his contract extension before the end of last season. You know, that's why, um, you know, Adoree Jackson and, and, and Leonard Williams, they signed back with the team, you know? Um, so just a lot of mutual respect, a lot of love between Patrick Graham and his players. And I got to tell you, I've been really, really pleased with the job he's done, but I do think in time, somebody's going to come knocking with an offer he can't refuse and he's going to be a head coach. And I could see him being a really good head coach. And by the way, check in uh, on Wednesday because one of the questions I asked Mike debate uh, on the show that we have coming up and Mike gave me a really good answer is um, why certain coaches from the Bill Belichick tree have succeeded and why others have failed. And Mike went into a really good explanation that I think makes the most sense out of anything I've ever heard or read. So that's just a little tease as to what you might hear on Wednesday if you tune in. But anyway, Alan, thank you for the question. Thanks for being a friend. And have a good summer, Alan. We'll be we'll be talking sooner or later. So uh, and I look forward to it. All right, Giant fans, we've got plenty more of your questions. We're going to turn to the questions submitted via mail. But first, Check out Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. You can get all the latest news, odds, and info on all your sporting needs, uh, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC MMA action. Head on over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Use our special promo code LOCKED ON to sign up for an account and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Terms and conditions do apply. That's code LOCKED ON at Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Giant fans, you are listening to Locked On Giants, and I am Patricia Trana, and we are doing a mailbag, a long overdue mailbag. So I hope you are enjoying it. And we have, uh, Questions now that came in through our email account, which is locked on giants podcast at gmail.com. If you have questions for the mailbag, you can use that email address to send them to us. And I'm not sure when I'm going to do the next mailbag, probably not until next month. But hey, if we get enough questions in, maybe I'll do something a little sooner. So uh, hope to hear from you. All right, this next question comes from John Z who asks, I hate to ask a question regarding the offensive line since it feels like 80% of the queries are regarding it, but is it probable that in 2021, Nate Solder and Will Hernandez will be in their final seasons? Solder as a cap casualty and Hernandez allowed to walk get a bigger offer from elsewhere. John, great question. Thank you for sending that in. Solder's contract was actually redone to include avoidable year in 2022. So I think it's pretty safe to say that this will be his last year here in New York. Um, he does have that voidable year. And that was, I think, put in there to help with the the uh, dead money hit that the Giants are, are facing. Um, I don't have the numbers. Actually, you know what, I'm going to get the numbers in front of me. Let me just take a look real quick. Okay, now I have the numbers in front of me. All right. So Nate Solder, um, since we're post June 1, 
So he has a 9.5 million cap number with 3 million guaranteed salaries. So his base salaries is at 3 million. They lowered that um, and he's and, and it's all guaranteed. And then he has a prorated signing bonus of 6.5 million. Now in 2022, that year is voided, but they moved $4 million into that year and that's going to be their cap hit. So Solder will not be on the roster next year, but they will have a $4 million dead money hit on 2022 because of that transaction or that pending transaction. So that's where they stand with, with that one. Now, as for Will Hernandez, um, I could see a scenario where he is not back next year. You know, I, I'd like to say it's er- too early to say that for sure. But last year, and, you know, and this is really tricky because we don't know how much Will Hernandez was affected by COVID. He, he tested positive, you know, had to miss a few games, and then he never got that starting job back. And I'm not so sure it was because Shane Lemieux played better. You know, there were some weak areas in his game. But, you know, what I'm curious to see is if Will Hernandez, you know, how does he do at right guard? Because that's the position that he is currently training to play in 2021. And if he does well with it, well, you know, more power to him. But if he decides after going through the season that, hey, you know, I, I want to go and I want to play left guard because he's been a career left guard. And if such an opportunity opens up, I could see him moving on. I really could. I mean, he's not a bad player. I know he gets a lot of flack from, from uh, you know, the media and from the fans. Will's not a bad player in the right system. You know, the Giants right now, they they kind of rely on their guards to be athletic, to be able to pull, to be able to get out to the second level. Hernandez has been kind of slow in that regard in that, that, you know, it always, if you watch his tape, he always looks like he's a step or two behind, just a split second. But if you put him in a phone booth and have him go straight at a guy, there's nobody who, who exudes more power and more force in moving a man off the spot than Hernandez. I mean, so you just, you wonder if what they're asking him and the others to do is a fit. And I think that's going to factor in. But right now, if I had to take a guess, I would say the Giants are probably going to move on from Will Hernandez as well. Will's going to go out and he's going to get, a, you know, get himself a nice free agent contract because he's still young. Um, somebody's going to want him to play left guard. It's just a matter of who, where, and, and, and when. So that's how I see that one playing out. Okay, the next question comes from Ethan H., and he writes, at this point, I must, I feel like I must be the only Giants fan out there that is disappointed that the team let Wayne Gallman walk. I feel like he could have made a very solid one-two punch with Saquon. What are your thoughts on this? Okay, Ethan, as I've always said before, it takes two sides to make a contract. So I kind of got the impression throughout this whole process and even before that, before, you know, COVID shut everything down, that Wayne Gallman wasn't going to see a second contract with the Giants. Um, sometimes, you know, a player just needs a fresh start. And I think that was very true of Wayne Gallman. 
And I say that because look, let's let's go back and look at the history while, while he was here. He was buried by what the two coaching staffs, and even this this most recent coaching staff buried him. Because think about it: when Saquon went down, what did the Giants do? They went and they signed Devonta Freeman. Okay, and Devonta Freeman was going to be their guy until he got hurt. Then they brought in Alfred Morris, and finally, I think you know, given the circumstances. They ran out of options and they said, okay, Wayne, let's see what you got. And oh, hey, look, Wayne can be our guy. So if you're in Wayne Gallman's shoes, how do you feel about that? I mean, do you say, well, God, what took you so long to, to realize I could do this, you know? So, you know, sometimes that's a result of how, you know, the coaching staff changing the philosophy and whatnot. But the fact that Wayne Gallman was always buried on the step chart, never really got that opportunity, it had to have frustrated him. And I think when it came time to test free agency, I'm, I'm pretty sure Wayne was looking for a, for a nice payday. I didn't think he was going to get it because, you know, running backs, quite frankly, they're a dime a dozen. Um, and, and I'm I personally don't think that a team is going to necessarily overspend on a running back unless this guy has, you know, generational talent, which Wayne Gallman, who I absolutely love, I think you've you've heard me say it, you probably have read my my articles and where I've said it. I love how Wayne Gallman runs, but I do not consider him a generational talent. That all said, uh Ethan, Wayne Gallman needed a fresh start. The Giants knew that they could get a running back in the draft, which they did. Now, I know Gary Brightwell is probably more of a special teams player at this point. They prob- The Giants probably figured that they could get a guy on a veteran minimum deal, a vet- veteran salary minimum type of, sorry, veteran salary benefit deal. That's the correct term, VSB, um, which they did. They got uh, Ryquel Armstead off of waivers. At who is on his rookie deal still. So what I'm getting at is, is they've got options now that are cheaper than what they probably would have had to spend to retain Wayne Gallman. So I think it was a mutual parting by both sides to just move on from each other. And, you know, look, am I going to miss Wayne Gallman? Absolutely. I always liked Wayne. I love how he runs. I think he's going to do really well out in San Francisco, but it the handwriting was on the wall even before free agency hit. And um, if you remember, I, I I said it. I said I didn't see him coming back. And lo and behold, I, I was right. I didn't want to be right, but I was. So, All right. This next letter comes from Chris M. Who writes, I never miss a show. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. That's That means a lot to me. Um, and then he goes on to write, I don't think the Giants had a head coach that was more likable than Jim Fossil. I know that isn't always what you need in a coach, but the thing I'll always love about him is that he swept the Eagles four straight years, 97 to 2000. And uh, let's see, I'll never forget his 2000 run after getting mad at the media and guaranteeing a playoff appearance at seven and four and then finishing 12 and four. And who can forget the 41-0 NFC championship game? We love Fossil, signed Chris M. Chris, totally agree. Absolutely. Um, I remember, you know, Fossil's uh, tenure. I, I told the story on another episode, you know, that the day after we learned the sad news that Jim Fossil had passed away, I shared with you my first, my earliest memory of Jim Fossil. And 
just a tremendous guy and and um you know very sad to, to see him go and I remember the guarantee. I remember him coming into the media workroom and just getting up on the podium and he just had that that he was walking with a purpose that day and just he had that look in his eye like you know something was going on. He, he, and later on he admitted that he didn't know exactly what he was going to say and I think what I liked most about that whole guarantee is that he spoke from the heart. It wasn't a rehearsed speech. It wasn't a planned speech. He just opened up and spoke from the heart. And, I, and I'm telling you, a- after hearing that, we were all like, wow. You know, <laughs> it's like you wanted to run through a brick wall after hearing that. And, and uh, you know, sure enough, the pl- word got back to the players, what, what the coach had said. And they went out and they they fulfilled his, his you know, prediction. And good for them good for them. And um, I remember 41-0. I remember sitting in the press box and I I remember before the game, I was sitting with a couple of colleagues and there was this one colleague I had who, he's not on the beat anymore, um, hasn't been on the beat for a number of years, but he was always Mr. Negativity. And I remember we were sitting and we were having the pregame meal and he was saying, oh my God, he says, the Giants don't have a, a prayer against this Vikings team and Fossil's going to get fired after they, you know, because they're not going to go to the Super Bowl and yada, yada, yada. And he was really down on stuff. And I remember when the Giants took that big lead and you just knew that they were going to pull it off. I the, This guy, for the first time, and he always had something to say and he was just absolutely speechless. And he goes, he looked at me because his seat was like two ro- two seats down from where I sat in the press box. And he looked at me, he goes, what the hell just happened? I said, you were wrong, dude. Yes. I said, you doubted this team and they, and they proved you wrong. And so he's looking at me, he goes, you're the X's and O's publication. He goes, what just happened? And I'm like, I've got to explain it to you. So it was just kind of funny because afterwards, I remember in the post-game um coverage the, that was of course in the old giant stadium so we went down to this to the post game interview room and fossil came out and you ever i guess the best way i can describe it is if you've ever seen like that smug look like the cat that just ate the canary look so fossil comes in and he's got this smug you know strut about him you know this this, this air of yeah, I just kicked their butts, you know, and 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 it was actually kind of cool. It, it was like to see the weight of his uh, of that game and and the weight that was on his shoulders lifted, and to know that the Giants were going to the Super Bowl. I mean, it was tremendous, and that was actually one of my favorite stories. I wrote about that forty one zero game and the guarantee in the in my book, the Big Fifty, the New York Giants, men and men, the men and moment that made the New York Giants. I also wrote a little bit about uh, Super Bowl 35, which unfortunately they didn't win. So Amani Toomer actually gave me some great insight into why they, why he thinks they didn't win that game. But uh, so, but yeah, Jim Fossil, you know, may he rest in peace. He was a good man. Um, you know, I, I never understood why he didn't get a job after, you know, after what happened with the Giants. I thought he would get another head coaching job in the NFL and he never did. So uh I don't know if it's because he didn't want one or what happened there, but great man. Um, 
I feel very blessed to have gotten to cover him. I got to know him a little bit. And um, my heart goes out to his family. It, it can't be easy, you know, burying a loved one. I know I went through it a couple of years ago with my own father. And I just hope that, you know, over time, the Fossil family, uh, their sorrow heals and they have, they're left with nothing but fond memories of, of uh, their days with Jim. All right, Giant fans, we have a lot more coming up in the next segment. But first, let me tell you about Built Bar. Nine amazing flavors plus the occasional limited time flavor. Eating a delicious Built Bar is like eating a candy bar minus the guilt. As most of their milk chocolate covered bars have about 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and about 4 grams of sugar. Indulging on a low-carb, low-sugar treat never tasted so good. And right now, when you order at BuiltBar.com, you can save 15% off your order when you use the promo code LOCKED15. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5 for 15% off your order at BuiltBar.com. Giant fans, we have much more content coming up here on the Locked on Giants podcast. But first, let me take a moment to tell you about rockauto.com, a family-owned business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. RockAuto.com offers an extensive selection of auto and body parts for dozens of auto manufacturers, makes, and models, all at competitive prices. Get what you need for your car or truck delivered straight to your door from RockAuto.com's extensive and easily searchable catalog. And be sure to write in Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know we sent you. RockAuto.com, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. All right, Giant fans, we are with Patricia Trana here on the Locked on Giants podcast, and we are doing a mailbag. And we have a couple more questions. Actually, uh, I think two or three more questions. So let's go ahead and jump back in. This question comes from Howard V., and he writes, Patty, I'm very excited for the 2021 season. I know there has already been a lot of concern and even optimism expressed about the offensive line. I am still very concerned. I have confidence in Thomas and Gates, but Parrott and Lemieux have not proven they are adequate starters, and Hernandez has been moved to a new position on the right side. That leaves huge uncertainty regarding three out of the five positions on a line that was awful most of last year. Any idea why the line was not addressed more aggressively in the offseason? And what are your thoughts regarding the five projected starters and backups such as Solder? Okay, Howard, I actually touched upon this in the first segment, but um, I'll just, again, to reiterate, just because guys were kind of shaky last year doesn't mean that they're going to be shaky again this year. So Matt Parrott actually, you know, let's start with him. Um, for Inside Football, which is a publication that I, I write for, I also manage. You can find information on Inside Football at shop.insidefootball.com, by the way, for those curious about it. What we do is we do a X's and O's breakdown every week after every game. And Matt Parrott, to our eyes, our film study, we saw a guy who was a little bit on the raw side, but who for whom the game was never too big. I mean, there are some rookies that you just watched them play and, and, and they just have that deer in the headlight look. And they, you know, they just don't know what they're doing and, and, and it shows. And Matt Parrott, you know, didn't have that. He played up to the level of competition. He didn't back down. 
And this past off season, um, Pear actually built himself up. So he's got a little bit more bulk to him, you know, because that was one of the, the criticisms we had last year of him. We said that, you know, he has the frame to add some additional bulk, especially in the upper body. And he's done that. He's added um, some quickness to his, his footwork. Um, you know, the, the issue with him is going to be his pad level and keeping that consistent because he's so tall. So I guess what I'm trying to get at here to to kind of calm your fears here, Howard, is um, you can't necessarily lock in and say, okay, just because a guy didn't look good last year means he's going to look bad this year. People grow, they get better at their jobs, the game starts to slow down, um, they start to feel more comfortable with what they're being asked to do. And I think Matt Parrott um, is going to be fine. Um, now, again, I haven't seen the offensive line in pads, which is the true test. And we will see what they look like when they, they put the pads on and they start going against the Giants defensive line and against, you know, other competition in the joint practices and the preseason games and all that stuff. But I'm not as concerned about the offensive line this year as I was last year. I thought last year there were a lot more question marks. And then when you had the cancellation of the offseason program, of the preseason games, and then, you know, you throw in the fact that the Giants were trying to learn a new offensive system. That's where I got a little bit more concerned than usual. This year, I just feel like they're going to be a little bit further ahead. Um, I'm optimistic. I'm more optimistic this year, simply put. Uh, the depth, as I mentioned before at the top of the show, the depth, they have veteran guys who can step in. And, you know, act as that safety net. And that's unusual because usually um, you see offensive lines, you see a combination of young and experienced players uh, making up the five starters. That's not how the Giants are doing it this year. They're basically saying, okay, you know what? We're going to let the kids go out there and play. And if somebody gets hurt or if somebody struggles, rather than replace them with a rookie, um, we have a, a guy who has been there and done that, and they, they have that across the board. I think the second team um, offensive line, if my memory is correct, let's see, I think it was uh, Kenny Wiggins was at left tackle. I believe was Chad, Sl- I think Chad Slade was at one of the guards. Then uh, Jonathan Harrison was at center. Um, and, and I'm losing, I can't remember who the other guard was. And then it was Nate Solder at right tackle. The other, the, the right guard will come to me. I can't think of who it was off the top of my head. But th- the point is, is that's a nice little safety net. Now, that said, let me just make one other point on this. A lot of people are saying, well, why didn't the Giants draft a, a rookie? You know, why didn't they draft somebody for the offensive line? Can anybody out there tell me, other than maybe Panay Sewell, who the Giants just weren't going to get, is there anybody out there in that draft class after Sewell went off the board that coming in would have been better than what they had? I mean, I, I guess what I'm getting at is, is you know, you're all, or not all of you, but some of you are panicking about the offensive line. And how do you know that a rookie coming in isn't going to have the same problems, the same struggles? You know, so we saw we saw it with Andrew Thomas. You know, everybody thought, "Oh, great, the Giants upgraded left tackle." Well, Andrew Thomas had his share of struggles replacing Solder at left tackle. So, you know, sometimes a rookie right away is not always the answer. Sometimes you you just got to go with what you've got, 
And as I mentioned at the top of the show, they've got better coaching. They are, you know, they're going to be consistent with their technique. You know, I, I firmly believe that last year having Mark Colombo teach them how to do things one way and then Dave, uh, Dave Guglielmo coming in and teaching them another way, uh, it, it just messed everything up for them. With Andrew Thomas, you know, he had the ankle injury. That messed stuff up for him. Ditto with Matt Parrott, who also had an ankle injury at the end of the year. So you've got to take all this into consideration before you say, oh my God, we're doomed. The Giants offensive line is going to stink this year because they, st- you know, they weren't very good last year. So let's, let's see what happens when the pads go on. I think, you know, I think we'll definitely revisit this topic because it is a hot topic and one that a lot of people want to know about. And I'm happy to revisit it with you and, and whoever else wants to ask the question, you know, as we, we, uh, get into training camp and whatnot. But right now, I, I feel a little bit better. I feel a lot better, I should say, than I did this time last year about the offensive line. All right, we're going to close it out with three questions from good friend Renato P. all the way from Brazil. Another longtime listener, Renato, thank you so much for tuning in. Always appreciate all you regulars. It's nice to see familiar names coming in on these questions, and I do appreciate the listens. All right, Renato has three questions. We'll take them one at a time. He's going to start off with one about Julian Love. Given all the new players acquired in the offseason, is he in the long-term plans? That's a good question, Renato. Um, I don't know the answer to that. I know he's in the plans this year. I'd, I don't know the answer. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I look at the defensive backfield, and the guy that I'm also concerned about, and I'm curious to see what happens with him, is Jabril Peppers. And I know I'm kind of going off of your question topic here for a minute, but just hear me out here. I thought by now Jabril Peppers would have had a new contract, that they would have lowered that that uh, almost six, I think it's $6.7 million cap hit and signed him for the long term. And now I'm wondering if maybe he's not in the long-term plans. And if he's not in the long-term plans, you know, are they going to maybe move Aaron Robinson into that role? Um, is that a role that maybe will also include what Julian Love does? I, I don't know the I, I don't know the answer to that because we did not see enough of how the defensive backs were deployed because obviously, you know, the DBs spent most of the offseason working out down in Florida with Logan Ryan. So when we got them, when we got to see them during the, the mandatory mini camp, there really wasn't much to see. You know, we, we, we saw some basic stuff, but really, you know, no competition. So I just think right now I can't get a good feel for Julian Love's future with the team. I do know that he's he's very versatile and they like his versatility and he's not a bad player, but he's always been one of those guys that you, you sit there and you say, okay, what exactly is his best role? And I just think that uh, this year, hopefully they find out the answer to that because I like him as a player. I've always thought that, you know, when he got the opportunity, he would do well, but I, I just don't know what his best role is. You know, you, you can't be a, a jack of all trades and a master of none. So I think they're going to try and find that out this year. And that's going to tell us more about whether or not he's in the long-term plans. All right, next question from Renato. Um, I am rooting for the 
for the team to go to the playoffs. But if not, do you think that Jason Garrett and Dave Gettleman will be out? Not necessarily, Renato. I mean, if the Giants have a rash, rash of injuries um, that wipes out, God forbid, their receivers or their offensive line or, or, or their quarterback, is that Dave Gettleman's fault? Is that Jason Garrett's fault? Um, you've got to... You've got to look at it, you know, you can't look at this in a vacuum. You've got to look at the scenarios. Now, if everybody stays healthy and the Giants don't go to the playoffs or if they struggle to score, then yes, I think Dave Gettleman could be uh, sent to, um, what is it, Cape Cod, I think is what he said. I I think he could be sent to his retirement home on Cape Cod a little bit earlier. Um, Jason Garrett, will he be out? I could see that happening too. Again, if if the offense, if everybody is healthy and the offense just can't get out of its own way, we see a lot of three and outs. I could see that happening. Absolutely. On the flip side, though, if the Giants offense becomes a juggernaut, um, who's to say that another team that has a head coaching vacancy won't come calling for Jason Garrett to be their head coach? So you might lose Jason Garrett either way. So, um, but yeah, as far as the team not going to the playoffs, you've got to look at what's behind them not going to the playoffs. Injuries, that's, nobody can plan for that. And nobody can be blamed for that. That just, that just happens. It gets in the way. So, um, all right, let me get to your last question. If you did a way too early 53 man roster plan, what would shock you and what would not shock you on people uh, you put or cut from the roster. Oh, let's see. You know what, Renato? I haven't done a 53-man roster projection because, again, with minicamp, that was you, you didn't learn enough. And I, I think, you know, I know people like that. And I, I, I guess maybe at some point I'll do a pre-camp prediction. But I really hate doing that until I see and get a feel for how things are going to unfold. But here, here's what I will say. Um, I think what would shock me is if they carried four tight ends and five receivers. That would shock me. Um, I think, you know, would they carry two fullbacks? That would surprise me. Could I see Colin Gillespie maybe edging out Eli Penny for the fullback spot? Yes, I could. And how does that affect Caden Smith? Well, I could see Caden Smith getting, you know, bumped off the roster, even though I don't want to see that, but I could see a scenario there. Um, I'm just trying to think what else would surprise me. Really, all the surprises Renato would probably come on the offensive side of the ball. Um, Tate Crowder, we'll, we'll go back to the defensive side. If I had to take one on the defensive side, Tate Crowder not making the roster, although I think he he will make it. Um, it would not surprise me if TJ Brunson doesn't make the roster because, you know, he really didn't get on the field at all. I think maybe one game he got on the field last year. So that would not surprise me. It would not surprise me if Rodarius Williams, who is the last of the six round draft picks this year, goes to the practice squad. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just talking like this. I don't have the roster in front of me. So I'm kind of going off a of memory here, but, I think the surprises are really going to be on the offensive side of the ball. And the thing to look at is, is how many running backs are they going to keep? How many receivers are they going to keep? And how many tight ends will they keep? 
And I can see several different combinations happening to where maybe that could be a surprise. And I mentioned a few just before. So that would be an early, you know, just an early, early guess. And like I said, I'll probably do a 53-man roster projection at some point. I'll do that over on Giants Country. Um, just not ready to do it right now uh, because I'm still going through the the player-by-player uh, -player analysis uh, on Giants Country where we're doing like a training camp preview so that nobody can say, who's that? Or, you know, what's this guy all about? So you're going to get all your information about who the guys are, um, what they bring to the table, what what I think their roster chances are, and so on and so forth. If you go to Giants Country, we have a new, we, we release at least one each day. So check that out. But uh, yeah, at some point, you know, when I've gone through that entire exercise, and I'm about halfway through it now, I will go in and I will attempt a very, very early projection, but that probably won't be until next month. So, all right. Thank you again, Renato, for those questions. And folks, thank you for all the questions. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed today's mailbag. I know I did. Don't forget when you are done with today's episode of the Locked on Giants podcast to check out the Locked on Today podcast as hosted by Peter Bukowski. He has all the sports news you will need in under 20 minutes, does a great job, and is a good friend of mine too. So check him out. He's available wherever you can get your podcasts. All right, folks, again, make sure you tune in on Wednesday. That'll be our next new show. Mike DeBate of Locked On Patriots will be on with me. We'll be talking about the Giants-Patriots joint practices and really an interesting conversation there because we weren't just talking about the joint practices, but just about the state of our two teams and, you know, what the Patriots miss with Joe Judge and how Joe Judge has evolved. So it's a lot more than just talking about the joint practices. And I hope you will check that out here on the Lockdown Giants podcast. Until then, folks, have a great one. And we will talk to you on Wednesday.